Hey, Goal-Getters, it's Cindy here from the We Got Goals podcast. This week's episode features my interview with Dr. Mark Kukazella. He's one of those people that has more jobs than hours in the day, it seems like. He's a professor at the West Virginia School of Medicine, owns running stores. He's a race director, health policy advocate, and a lifelong and accomplished runner himself, after some early setbacks, which is one of the things that we'll discuss in the interview. His big goal that he shares with us, one thing he did recently that was incredibly challenging and rewarding, he says, was finishing his new book, Run for Your Life. We discuss a bit about how he managed that extra work without compromising in his own life the very things that the book is advocating for. Regular exercise, adequate sleep, managing stress, all of those really basic um, building blocks of a healthy life. So speaking of big goals, we talked a little bit about how whether it's in running or fitness or in other areas of your life, sometimes the act of accomplishing a big goal kind of does upset some of those building blocks and takes you out of maybe what would be a normal healthy routine. I'm sure that when he was finishing the book, getting really close to the deadline, there might have been a night or two where he got less sleep than he would have liked. And, you know, if you've ever run a marathon or another long distance race, you know that you're often putting your body through a lot on race day. And if you did that every day, it probably wouldn't be a good thing. But the process of training and preparing for those big goals, whether it's, you know, running for training for a marathon or whether it's kind of a regular writing practice, a good routine for writing a book, those things are a good way to improve your physical and and psychological well-being. And since those big goals drive those processes and they also infuse our lives with deeper purpose and meaning, you know, it's a good trade-off to have those days that are outliers. It just does mean that you have to kind of give yourself enough rest and recovery after you get a big win or go for a big goal like that. There's a word that Mark uses in this interview that I have seen pop up in a few other places lately, and that word is health span. The idea of health span is different than lifespan, not just how long you live, but how long you live well. You could live a really long life, but be sick or otherwise compromised. And, you know, I don't think that's what we want. I think healthspan is a word that we'll start hearing even more. And I also think it's a really good long-term goal for all of us to have. The decisions that we make, those building blocks of a healthy life that we put in place now, whatever age we are, are going to, you know, pay dividends for years to come. So that's uh, something that we talk about a lot in this interview, and I can't wait to share it with you. So here is my talk with Mark. This is Cindy Kuzma, and I am here on the We Got Goals podcast with Dr. Mark Kukazella. Uh, we are here at the running event in Austin, and Dr. Kukazella does many things, which we'll talk about in a minute. But uh, first of all, I just wanted to say thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate you being on the show. Well, thank you, Cindy, for meeting me over here. It's a beautiful day in Austin. It is. It is. And coming from Chicago, where it's about 20 degrees, I'm appreciating it. I don't know what it's like uh, where you left. but <laughs> Yes, yeah, we've had a nice fall in West Virginia. been kind of wet, but certainly not sunny and 70 degrees. So, Dr. Kukazella, you're so many things. A physician, a, um, a runner, an author, uh, a lieutenant colonel in the Air Force Reserve, a shoe store owner, and that's probably not even everything. Um, you do so many things. How would you kind of describe what your day-to-day is like? Yeah, my day-to-day is a little bit crazy, but I guess that's what makes it fun. <laughs> so if you wake up every day and, and you're not quite sure where that day is going to take you, maybe that's why I'm here at the running event, Cindy. So this is kind of an outlet. You know, my primary job is taking care of sick people 
in hospital setting, and I have a clinic now that deals with a lot of obesity and diabetes with a focus on trying to make those problems go away versus managing them with more heavy medications. But the running is really the joy, my community. I direct races too. So this is, this is kind of my tribe here, you know, and even within the last day, you know, you see so many people that you've met. I've probably been coming here for 10 years. So yeah, it's, it's great. People from all kind of different walks of life come here, different interests, different skills. So I learn a lot by coming to this conference. Yeah, it does seem like this is my first time here, but it seems like just an incredible meeting of so many um, interesting people in the industry from so many different perspectives. Yes, for sure. Um, so you've had an incredibly impressive athletic career um, in addition to everything else that, that you do. And you've built, as you said, like an entire career around running and fitness and, and helping improve people's health. But physicians once told you that you would never run again. Is that right? And I wondered if you could tell me a little bit about that and how you kind of went about proving them wrong. Yes, yeah, so Cindy, so I'll kind of give the short version, but I you know, I started running in high school pretty seriously and ran in college at University of Virginia. And we were all just hurt all the time, but we kind of just accepted that's the way it was. None of us really learned anything about how to prevent injuries. And none of this newer sports science was around. You know, so all, all of this running gait mechanics and footwear, all these discussions have really evolved over the last 10 to 15 years. But we just ran as hard as we could until we broke, repeat. And... Um, so I, I continued to run fairly competitive after college. You know, I went to medical school and I found it was an outlet just for sanity. You know, I could study. I was probably, you know, ADD before medications. <laughs> so running was my therapy for anxiety, for stress reduction, you know, just to make my brain work, to memorize anatomic charts and all the different things you needed to in medical school. So I started jumping back into races you know, not with any purpose to run them fast. And, and by relieving the stress of, of, you know, competition, really, I started to do well again. But then but kept getting hurt, kept getting hurt. And I, I made a, a valiant attempt to, to qualify. I was at the Chicago Marathon, so I wanted to, to qualify for the Olympic trials. It was 222 was the standard and um, constantly hurt trying to train up. It was the 99 Chicago Marathon, I believe it was 99 before 2000 trials. And I, I ran a 224 there, but ran it broken. And then when I finished that race, I was pretty broken. And I went, I was, at, I was stationed at the Air Force Academy and I didn't know much about feet then. You would think in medical school, we learned a little bit about feet, but we learned uh, maybe there were 26 bones and if, you know, we mm -hmm. dissected the foot, but nothing about how it works. But one of the sports docs there, orthopedic, uh, looked at my feet and my big toe was bent in at like 30 to 40 degrees. <laughs> you know, it kind of looked like a stiletto, you know, kind of, yeah, my, my foot looked like a shoe, which looked like a track spike. And, but I didn't know that that was like weird or wrong or dysfunctional. But I, now that I know how the foot works without the big toe working well um, or in the right position, it's very hard for a foot to work uh, while in running. So had an operation on both of my feet, took out some of the arthritis in the bones, straightened the toe out a bit. But, you know, the conventional wisdom at that time, you know, from the orthopedics and the podiatrist was, you know, well, running caused all this. So it probably wouldn't be a good idea to, to run again, at least at any competitive level, you know, just maybe get out there and jog a little bit at the, at the most. But, you know, after I probably took like three months off after that, but I'd, I'd realized pretty early in my medical career, because things were constantly changing that, you know, I didn't make this up. I think it was a, a Harvard commencement address. You know, half of what we learn in med school is is wrong. You know, we're just spending a career trying to find out the half that's right. 
so you know, I took that ad advice and kind of, and I knew as a runner that, you know, most people who were non-runners, the easy answer was, well, running caused the running injury, so just don't run. But they don't understand, you know, all the intangibles, you know, which I write about in the book. You know, the mind and these different things that, like, running is is an addictive drug. <laughs> really, it is. And we're, you know, West Virginia now we're using that as part of as part of therapy for opiate addiction. You know, that's another whole story, but. A few months in, you know, my dog, I think, was as sad as I was. You know, I just didn't get the same satisfaction out of, out of going for a walk. And I don't think my dog did, too. She was a, you know, a stray border collie mix. So I started to, to jog slowly again. And I, in those few months, I started to read a little bit about, you know, running mechanics, aerobic development. So I didn't have a fear to go out and start jogging super slow again. And um, that was probably my first entry into understanding some of the physiology of aerobic development, you know, which I'm here today uh, speaking with Lorraine Moeller on the Lydiard principles, Arthur Lydiard. And I know Runner's World has written some articles about, you know, coaching principles back in the 60s. And, you know, now we're like new age things. <laughs> so everything comes back full circle. So I started to run like super slow again. And you get fast by running slow. And I, you know, this is like maybe six months later, lined up at the Marine Corps Marathon and um, ended up uh, running through halfway in about 115. But it was crazy, like I'd never felt that easy before in a marathon and you know, came home in like 113 and finished in third place in that race. And it's a pretty big race, you know, without any like real training. And, and it just opened the, the doors to all the things yet to discover. And it certainly was never hurt or sore. You know, it's hard to hurt yourself if you're running really mellow every day, you know, and not doing workouts and intervals and timing things, you know, it just, and it, it brought joy, you know, and, and I think for your listeners out there, so, you know, running is recovery, you know, everyone talk about recovery run, hard runs, and you know, all this stuff, but if you have a busy life, you know, every run is, is a recovery run, and if you don't feel better when you come in the door than when you left, you're probably wasting your time, and that's pretty much, that's been my mantra for the last 20 years, you know, that was, yeah, it was close to 20 years ago, and, you know, knock on wood, I haven't had a, a day missed from any running injury since that time. I don't fear running injuries anymore. I think it's hard to hurt yourself if you, unless you step on a hole in a trail, you know, that kind of stuff. But, but even then, I think if you're mindful, you won't do that either. Well, it's, it's kind of incredible to hear how that all happened for you. And it does highlight an important point that you make in your book, uh, Run for Your Life, which I have. It's, it's a great resource for runners of all levels and, and all ages and throughout their running career. Um, but you do talk a lot about that um, idea of, of going slow to go fast. And I think in our world where sometimes there is such a focus on high intensity fitness, whether you're in the running world or in a, a different sort of um, athletic endeavor, different kind of fitness interest, um, it's not something that's that's popular these days. I mean, how, how do you kind of go about helping? Obviously, writing your book is one big way, but how do you kind of reinforce this message um, to, to people who might not be quite open to hearing it just yet? <laughs> I think it's like everything, Cindy, you just have to live it, right? Mm -hmm. You know, so if there's a group run like this morning, you know, I met up with a group and, you know, we ran super slow around the lake or, you know, the lake, the river. And that's, you know, if we have group runs, I'm usually picking the slowest group and run with them. And they're like, oh, you don't want to run with us. You're like one of those fast people. It's like, no, this, you, you'll not see any, I am not on Strava. You know, I don't, you know, it's, I run really slow, you know, for most days, but, you know, if I get, getting ready for a race, there'll be some specific things 
that I'll do to try to get ready for a race. And every day I'm doing those little supplemental things, which aren't hard that keep your speed. You know, so every day I'm doing, you know, 40 meter short sprints, you know, skips and drills, plyometrics, you know, things that aren't technically hard or acidotic like workouts, but they, you know, they keep that stimulus, um, keep that coordination. So I think that's what Lydiard taught in 1960. You know, you, you want to stay fast without running hard because running hard beats the snot out of you, right? It, you know, for beats the crap out of you just for, I mean, just to make it real. But so you want to not do that to yourself. And then you wake up the next day. So if you wake up the next day and you really don't feel like running, you're running too hard or something else is going on, but you should wake up and you should, wow, I, I you know, I, I get to run today, not like I have to run today. Right. Um, you have so many of those like sort of drills and, and helpful exercises in the book, which I love. And I also really appreciated about the book, the fact that you kind of guide people through this sort of self-experimentation with those kinds of things. You could say, look, here are a lot of things that might be helpful. Try them, see what works for you, see how you feel. And you acknowledge that that's kind of the way that you've done it and the way that you'd encourage other people to do it. So I wondered if you could talk a little bit about that and if that was, you know, kind of one of the main goals that you had in writing this book. Yeah, so, I, you know, not that everyone's going to do 10 different things. So, you know, it's like a little menu. So I think if people train for your weakness and, and do what you enjoy doing. So, you know, the assessments in the book, you know, figure out what areas that you need a little help or a little maintenance on and work on those. And that's sustainable. And certainly training, you know, we're all, we all have different DNA. So not everyone responds to the same type of training. Some people really respond well to a lot of high intensity stuff month in, month out. That's not the norm, you know, so most people will, will injure themselves and, you know, adrenally fry themselves. But there are some people that thrive on that. So if you're out there every day working out super hard, acidotic levels of stuff, and you're waking up the next day and want to go, and these people are like Marines, right? So that's why they're tip of the spear folks. Heck, keep it going. But most people who are, you know, I'm 52, most people who are getting older on in life want to just keep going and keep moving more for the health benefits than any competition, you know, and we know that, you know, is, is huge in fending off the, I mean, just two weeks ago, you know, Runner's World wrote on it too, was the, you know, 2018 physical activity guidelines, which basically go back to the original Lydiard cardiac rehab program, you know, in the early 1960s. So his goal was, well, I think every person after any cardiac event should get to the point that they could jog 30 minutes comfortably, you know, every day. 30 minutes, and it would take them about, he had like a 24-week program. They started walking, walk, run, you know, and then ultimately they could jog, super easy, 30 minutes. In 2018, you know, the one-page summary, again, is, you know, moderate, 150 to 300 minutes a week. 150 is kind of their minimum requirement, you know, which is about 30 minutes a day, mm-hmm. you know, up to, you know, 300 minutes, you know, so if you want to go a little more. But, yeah, nothing really is new under the sun. All that stuff goes way back, and that helps not going to cure everything, but it does, you know, mitigate and reduce your odds of getting a lot of these chronic diseases and helps people live better if they have, you know, we talked a little earlier about people with arthritis, you know, so it's not going to cure arthritis, but if you maintain fitness and strength and, you know, eat an anti-inflammatory diet, you know, you don't do all that stuff that just inflames your body, you know, you're going to live better with that condition. Right. That's, I mean, really the title of your book bears this out to run for your life. And that's really what you're talking about. You never have to join a race. I mean, do that if it's like monkey bars day and you want to, you know, get out and challenge. Because, you know, some people need, I mean, myself included, it's nice to have 
you know, some kind of goal every six months. Like I'm going to, and it's kind of fun community stuff too, like going and running the Boston Marathon every year. I mean, they're like your people, you know, it's something wild about being out on the street that day and something really special. And it's a privilege to be out there running that. And Marine Corps Marathon, I run every year. So it's really a privilege to be part of that race. So those are the things that get me excited, not every weekend, but a couple times a year, you know, line up at a race and pick a challenge race every year, you know, something different. Like if you're used to just half marathons, just pick at least one thing that's out of your wheelhouse, you know, whether that be an obstacle race or an ultra, you know, I've run a bunch of these crazy ultra marathons, but usually we'll pick a different one. This year I, I ran the second time because I wanted to do the different direction. I went to the Comrades uh, in South Africa this year because I'd done the up run five years ago. And for those of you that know that race, it's just historic. I think it's the oldest ultra marathon in the world, like 20,000 people. But this year was the down. So I needed to do the down to check that one off the list. Right, they, they really were genius in their marketing of that, right? Yeah, <laughs> like what, I, they do it so one right. direction one year, one direction the other. You know, fly to South Africa and, and uh, come do the race again. Yeah, yeah that's definitely on, on my bucket list too. And it, it is interesting to hear you talk about that because, uh, you know, you make it clear in the book that there's a balance here, right? That, um, that, you know, what the amount of physical activity you need for your general health and well-being, you might exceed that at times in pursuit of a specific goal but there are goals that also give greater meaning and joy to our lives and purpose in our lives, right? I mean, in fact, you kind of have as one of your sort of 10 keys to, to um, how did you call it? Uh, kind of your uh, essential elements of, of healthy running. You had setting a goal. So yeah, I mean, talk a little bit about kind of how you balance that out. Yeah, I think the, the, the processes, I mean, I'm sure your listeners kind of know this, whatever you know, whether it's your job or your athletics or your activity, the process is what makes you healthy. And then so competition day, you know, it's probably one of the least healthy things to do would be running 56 miles in the South African heat on a road going up and down like 10,000 feet. So that's probably not good for you. But the path to get you there is, you know, and Certainly, if you have any cardiac risk, you need to get yourself checked out before you would go really stress your body to some, you know, d degree that is kind of a little bit over the edge. But if you're healthy, doing that a couple times a year, that's that's fine. Just recover. Just uh, be smart to recover. You know, so if you have, like, say you're a 5K, 10K runner and you do want to do a marathon and that's really stretching you, make sure that you've got a month after that that there's really nothing on your agenda other than, you know, slow jogging, walking. You don't have like another race that you might consider like an A race, like two or three weeks after a marathon or ultra marathon. Yeah, let yourself recover and be willing. Like if you don't feel good, be willing to, okay, this isn't the right time. Even if you've paid an entry fee, you know, sometimes you can swap or donate that to someone. So don't, if you have an injury, don't just line up. And you see that a lot at the Boston Marathon is people, like, you'll see people even limping around the expo because, you know, they qualified and they spent, you know, let me think about it, like, they're, you know, Chicago, right? Like, 300 bucks a night, 500 bucks a night hotel. They invested all this money and they're there and they got in and then they're like, oh, mm -hmm. not, that's not a good idea mm -hmm. to do. Yeah, well, I, I've run Boston a few times, too, and this year I, I didn't, I was, you know, in the bubble and didn't make the cutoff, and I'm kind of like, oh, well, this is going to be a much less expensive year for me now. Yeah, it's so yeah, much. It's like a, 
budgeted item. To yeah, do that. totally, uh, totally. Well, um, you've already talked about some of the big goals that you've achieved, whether it was Comrades, and we've talked about the book. But um, as I kind of mentioned before we started talking, one of the big questions we ask on this podcast is, what is one goal that you have achieved that you're particularly proud of? Why was it important to you, and and how did you get there? So I wondered if you, if it's possible for you to narrow it down to one or two, um, what what would you say, and and why was it something that was particularly meaningful for you? Yes, that's a great question, Cindy. I, I think finishing the book was that was like you know, 19 chapters, so maybe 19 marathons, but the book is really my gift back to all the people I've learned from. So, you know, I'm a race director, I work with kids, you know, I work with patients, you know, I have kids myself. Um, so they, you know, even my, my children are 15 and 13. So, you know, they, they saw me, you know, huddled up trying to finish this thing. And, you know, and then when it was finally done, you know, so you try to set an example, you know, I committed to do it. it took a lot longer than I thought, but right, just like maybe your first marathon, you know, oh, my goal is like, you know, four hours or three hours, and then you come walking in at like five hours, but, you know, you got it done. And so I got it, yeah, it's hard to sit down and focus, you know, when your life is busy, but I got it done. But there's, you know, different elements, you know, the community element, the final chapters on community, because I think that's, you know, this conference here is great because all of these um, small retail owners do a ton for their community, and that's why I own a small retail store, you know, when was the last time, you know, if you're in the audience listening, when was the last time, a, you know, online or a big box ever, you know, showed up to host a race or host a group run or volunteered an aid station? I mean, that stuff doesn't happen in the big box world. But, you know, if you own a small running store, really the reason you're there is to bring people into the sport, keep them in the sport. You know, if they're hurt, you know, figure out what's going on. Because no kidding, the doctors don't deal much with running injuries, they come to the running shoe store. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's part of why, you know, I keep coming to this conference and, you know, I usually give a talk about, you know, from a retailer's perspective, not a doctor's perspective, you know, how can we use some of the best medical evidence and research and apply it in a shoe store, not just follow marketing trends. Okay, so that's all good. Well, this type of shoe is selling great, but I consider a running shoe a, a medical prescription, right? So we need to apply the same standards as if I'm in my office and, you know, someone comes in with a condition, well, this drug's selling well this week, right? I mean, but that's, I mean, sadly, that's how it rolls in medicine and I'm embarrassed by it, you know, so you see the drug ads and that's how trends start in pills. You know, I saw this ad, you know, can you prescribe this? And, and the, they come marketing at us, you know, the drug reps, they're not allowed in my office, but yeah, it's, but yeah, and, and these are some really smart folks, so, so it's really cool. You know, the retailers really want to learn some of this really basic, you know, science of the foot and, and pass that forward. And, and the trends, you know, in running shoe is actually everything kind of, the more things change, the more things stay the same. So yesterday they showed a slide of, you know, the, the shoes that are doing well, you know, stability, motion control, extra stack height, which are the big shoes. And the shoes that across the board all the time, neutral shoe, neutral shoe. You know, the ACSM, American College of Sports Medicine, put out an evidence-based document like three years ago, um, Reed Ferber up in Canada. So if you're going to do the 90% solution, a neutral shoe, meaning light, flexible, minimal stack height, we call it, and um, also wide in the toes. You know, you don't want to squeeze your toes. 
So those, that's pretty much the basics of a do no harm shoe. You know, if you need a higher level of evaluation to really determine who needs these motion control type of shoes. You can't just look at someone's foot while they're standing or watch them walk and say, I think your foot pronates or something, because that's actually a normal, you know, we talk about it in the book, but yeah, so to do no harm approach, give everyone a neutral, light, flexible, comfortable shoe that fits them. And it doesn't need to have a, that was the Arthur Lydiard. That's how he was doing it. You know, I have pictures of the shoes his runners wore in the 1960s. They didn't get hurt, but they did everything right. It wasn't, they didn't get hurt because they wore the right shoes. You know, they progressively, you know, had a pyramid of their training, which aerobic foundation, skill development, strength work with hills. They would do all that stuff before they'd even begin to add anaerobic work. So they wouldn't hurt themselves. Yeah. Well, uh, there's so much great information. I mean, I feel like this is just like a small snippet of all of the great information that's in the book for, for runners. And um, it is so interesting to hear you talk about the process of, of writing the book as being <laughs> a challenging one as well. I mean, how did you carve out the time for it in your busy life? And I mean, was there any way that you kind of, you know, did you do kind of a lydiard approach to, <laughs> to progressing uh, your, your writing? Um, I, I know that, that having just finished yeah, the book myself, I know it's yeah, extremely right, it's challenging. What are some of the ways yeah. that you kind of did make it work? Well, you know, uh, my colleague Brock Coburn, who lives in Wyoming, so he was my kind of confidant in this book. So he kept me on track. So I would write a draft of a chapter, you know, get information. He would work on cleaning it up a little bit. You know, then I'd start working on the next one. So together we made a good team, but I, we just did it one chapter at a time. So, I mean, you've written books, articles. So if you have a good outline, you'll get it done. It just might take longer. So the outline was what we wanted to talk about. And you only did what you could, you know, so I got behind, but it was okay. You know, the publishers gave us some liberty, so that was okay. Thank God they weren't tightening the screws on me. Because then everything I write about in the book would have been a joke, because I'd probably right now be burnt out, have heart disease, <laughs> hate running, because I couldn't, you know, if, if I had to stop running to, you know, sleep deprive myself more to finish the book on time, I'd be a wreck. I would, probably wouldn't be here. Yeah, there's would be some yeah, significant yeah, be, irony in that. Yeah, it would be yeah, it'd be like a joke. Like, why are you writing this book? <laughs> so yeah, I think you gotta yeah, if you're gonna throw that out there, you do have to to live it. You know, there's nothing in the book is radical. It's all old school stuff that fits into the life of of anybody. Yeah, if this can't fit into your life, you know, then then you probably need to make some changes. You know, if a half hour of activity, eating healthy food, if your life is too busy for that, no kidding, you better figure it out. Like what's got to go because you will you will become diseased, and in America that's a sad thing. If you know people might live to 80 years old, but you know our health span, meaning how long do you live without being a medical patient? You know we're like number 60 on the planet, which is really sad. You know so our our health span right now, most people my age at age 52 are already on four to five prescription medications, and it's like if you are healthy, you should not be on medication. You know, unless there is something genetic or not in your control. But these are all lifestyle-driven illnesses that can be prevented and reversed. That's what people need to hear is just because you were told you have type 2 diabetes, high blood pressure, you know, it doesn't mean that can't go away. It can go away. You just need to figure out your root cause, and it's usually the basics. Right, because as you talk about in the book, like you actually have pre-diabetes yourself, or, or, right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I was a runner. We didn't know anything about nutrition, so diabetes, heart disease runs in my family, and, 
you know, I was waking up at two in the, this about seven years ago, I was waking up at two in the morning needing another, you know, bowl, like a, you know, I'm talking about like a huge bowl <laughs> of cereal and skim milk. My body was just, uh, it was, it's called insulin resistance. You know, I could not, I could not use fat as fuel at all. My carbs, insulin, store, burn from running. And I was just on this vicious cycle, but I didn't understand it until my lab work came back. And then I started to read a little bit about nutrition. And again, like half of what we've learned in, in school is, is wrong. But I would say in nutrition, it's by like 80%, 90% of what we've learned is wrong. And, you know, we're revising that now. And I'm, you know, I'm with a group called the Nutrition Coalition, really trying to revise the dietary guidelines for America. Because that was the original food pyramid, you know, put out there with a hypothesis that you know, eating fat and cholesterol caused heart disease. That was the hypothesis, not proven, but, you know, so we started this experiment on 270 million Americans, you know, including myself. You know, we all ate that way when we were kids. You know, breads and pastas are the base of the food pyramid. But if you look at the obesity curves, you know, since 1980, you know, in my state especially, you're like, holy cow. <laughs> you're like, wait a minute. So we actually followed those instructions to the note and we're seeing the results now. So we need to go back, you know, in 2015, you know, the government actually came out in their government kind of way and said, well, fat and cholesterol are no longer nutrients of concern in the 2015 guidelines. And you're like, well, what does that mean? It's like, we were wrong. <laughs> and that, you know, it was made headlines, you know, eggs are back on the table and, you know, but yeah, so, but they were the only ones who told us to take the eggs off the table. So yeah, I'm right now, I, you know, I'm a low carbohydrate liver, you know, I mean, it's nothing radical. I just don't eat the sugars and starches. You know, I eat eggs, meats, tons of veggies. All that's like ancestral stuff, traditional stuff. It's, yeah, a beautiful way to eat. I'm never hungry. You know, I can go to bed at night and sleep through the night. And, I, you know, then when you're a runner, you know, that's like another whole science of just, you know, what fuel tank do you want to be in if you run a marathon? Mm -hmm. You know, so that's, I don't have any fear of bonking because I can metabolize fat pretty quick and efficiently at high speeds. So, I mean, yeah, you need a little sip of something along the way, just if you're sensing you need it, but otherwise, you know, there's no bonk because you're burning fat. Right, and I really like the way you explain all this in the book. You do it in such a way that is technically accurate, but accessible, I think, to your average runner. So I think I would definitely recommend people who have questions about nutrition and especially for performance to take a look there. And you also offer, uh, you know, many other resources for people to check out. So I appreciate that in there too. So uh, Dr. Kukazal, I can't thank you enough for, for talking through all of these, these big ideas and, and your everyday experiences with me. I really, really appreciate it. I definitely would encourage people to pick up your book, Run For Your Life. Tell us a little bit more about where people can find you, the best ways to kind of keep tabs on your information and, and this important work that you're doing. Yeah, so there, the book has a website now, which has a lot of the resources from the book. It's runforyourlifebook.com. I have a blog. It's called naturalrunningcenter.com. A lot of stuff on there. And uh, probably my personal site links to my store, Two Rivers Treads, links to Freedom's Run, which is a series of races, a nonprofit, and we just donated $34,000 back to our community for projects such as school trails. So that's on there, freedomsrun.org. I also have a site called Nature Prescriptions, you know, so, which it isn't just exercise and food. There's some magic about being outside in nature. So yeah, like just make your own goals. There's a little prescription you can print out there that is a personalized thing for you just to, you know, you can't tackle everything at once, but you know, find some low-hanging fruit and, and go after it. 
but it's all pretty simple stuff. But yeah, and then to connect with your local community, you know, find like-minded people that, you know, I think that's how it happens, you know, get that flywheel going. You know, there's a lot of people out there trying to make change in small pockets and they're doing amazing things. So somehow we all need to meet each other and yeah, and move the bar, you know, at the government level. Wow. I can't thank you enough for your efforts on behalf of all of our health <laughs> and uh, again for taking the time to talk oh, through them you. with me today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. Hey, goal getters, this is Cindy Kuzma just popping back in to let you know that we're about to play a goal from one of you, our listeners. If you would like to share your goal with us, a goal you've accomplished in the past, a goal you have for the future, or your best goal-getting tip, all you have to do is record a voice memo on your phone or computer and email it to me, cindy at asweatlife.com. You could hear yourself on an upcoming episode of We Got Goals. Now, here is one of your goals. Hi, my name is Matt, and I'm from Chicago. A recent goal that I accomplished was I ran the Chicago Half Marathon in uh, September of 2018. And I beat my personal record on the Half Marathon by more than 15 minutes. And I ran it 15 years ago when I was in my 20s. So that was a, a big deal for me. The way I did it was I decided to get back into running when I turned 40. And I decided for this big run to just go ahead and get an app that had a plan to it and just do the work that it said to do and not question it. So I would not think about the methodology. I didn't question, you know, how many runs or which runs I was supposed to do. I said, this is the race I'm going to do. Tell me. And I just did the work. And so that way, if people ask what my plan was or why I was doing it, I could just say, oh, well, Nike's telling me what to do and I'm just going to do it. And it worked. Thanks. This podcast is a sweatlife.com production, and it's another thing that's better with friends. So please share it with yours. You can subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. And if you have a chance to leave us a rating or review, we would really, really appreciate it. Special thanks to Jay Mono for our theme music, to our guest this week, Dr. Mark Kukazella, to Ryan Deffitt for editing, and of course, an extra special thanks to you, our listeners. <laughs>